Welcome to the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association. We are your source on what's going on at the university, the Alumni Association, and all things Runner Nation. Because now and forever, we are Roadrunners. 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 Welcome, Runner Nation, to another episode of the Birds Up Podcast, brought to you by the UTSA Alumni Association, a podcast by runners for runners. And I am your host, Drew Addison. With me, as always, is my beautiful wife, Yvonne, and dare I say, former president of the UTSA Alumni Association. Immediate past president (laughs) for a year. Yeah, and thank you again for your service to the UTSA Alumni Association board uh, as I step on. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a whole new experience for me, uh, although you're still with me and kind of uh, making sure that I don't step out of, out of bounds oh. I guess, in my first year. <laughs> so uh, I tend to, to be like a bull in a china shop sometimes. And, you know, this is true. This is true. I need a bit of a, a, a trigger there to kind of help me keep, keep, help keep me in line is the main thing. <laughs> the first thing. step is recognizing you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, off to an awesome start. Uh, incredible events that are happening. Obviously, you know, the fall semesters are always filled with such great events. Yeah. Um, but We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the interview. Let me introduce you to the guest for the day, David Zamiello, the president and CEO of Project Quest here in San Antonio, also a UTSA grad, class of 1984. Sorry for dating you, David. Um, <laughs> you know, he's done so many incredible things throughout his career. This is actually his second career, I guess yeah. we can call it. After a long stint at USAA and really starting from an entry-level position, working his way up into management, ultimately going into to uh, more of an executive role at mm-hmm. USAA. It's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David has done some wonderful things. I think, you know, he really leans on his experience and what he learned at UTSA. Yes. And, you know, David is also a past board member of the UTSA mm-hmm. Alumni Association. He helped us with our last uh, strategic plan and, and helping us get that ship moving, you know, into the next era. And now as we continue to move forward, I think there's going to be opportunity for us to capitalize on that goodness and what we've learned since then and go through our next iteration of our strategic plan. Yes, and he's always looking for ways to get back. Him and his wife are looking for ways to get back to UTSA, and it's always incredible to see them at really almost all the events. I know, yes. <laughs> I'm all, I, I, like, I think subconsciously I look for David and Cindy when we go to oh, stuff. I know, right? I know. <laughs> well, those of you who are not familiar with Project Quest, they actually just recently had their 30th anniversary, uh, and Quest stands for Quality Employment Through Skills Training. It is a primary economic development broker, provides critical support, expertise, and resources to develop highly qualified employees for in-demand occupations that offer a living wage, benefits, and career path. Not only that, I mean, they have some incredible records on the success they've had throughout the years. Uh, And this really starting so long ago, uh, I was actually kind of surprised that we learned so much as we did in this conversation uh, about Project Quest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so incredible that that an entity like them does exist in the city of San Antonio. All the resources they bring to people that are looking to really better their lives, better their families' lives, and really pulling on the resources that are available in the city of San Antonio, and as well as the local government also. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All the contact information is in the show notes. So after the interview, make sure you go through and check out Project Quest. There's ways to give, ways to give back. And us as an alumni network, we should definitely do that. But stick around for after the interview, as we'll fill you in on some events and things that are going on at the University of the Alumni Association, and we'll be back in a bit. Birds up. Birds up. Beep, beep. All right. Well, I've been really excited about this next guest. Today, we welcome David Zemiello, the president and CEO of Project Quest. Thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Another prime example of great things that alumni are out doing. Oh, yeah. Brainstorming who we wanted to bring on. David was definitely on that list. So that's why I'm like, finally, (laughs) yay! Hey, I am honored to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Well, the amount of time that you've given back to the UTSA Alumni Association and you're still interconnected with UTSA is all just amazing things and really is inspirational and hopefully provides some inspiration for the alumni that are listening to the show right now. But before we dive into all that, let's go ahead and take a step back to Utica, New York and where it all started for David (laughs) and how we got to San Antonio. So how much time do we have for this? That's a long story, but to kind of get to the point, originally from upstate New York, Utica, New York, and then my father was in the military and that brought us to San Antonio, Texas, Randolph Air Force Base specifically, out in shirts in the late 60s. 60s and picked it up from there. I guess we should start with what school did you graduate from? What high school? High school. I went to Samuel Clemens High School to fight in Buffalo. There we go. There we go. 
We have to make sure we clarify that. Yes. So you come out of high school, jump into San Antonio College in 1979 to begin your collegiate career. What was that like coming into college? Wasn't It wasn't a traditional transition. That makes it sound like it's nice and it does. smooth and all that. <laughs> but truth be told, like a lot of kids at that time, I was coming out of high school with, what am I going to do next? Mm-hmm. So the jump to SAC wasn't immediate. It actually took a little bit of a detour. Okay. And went to work for a little while and actually went to work for a steel mill in New Braunfels, Texas, the Simon Steel Corporation. Wow. And worked the night shift, which was literally 3.15 in the afternoon to 1.15 in the morning. Did other odd jobs, and I worked at the Sheraton Motor Inn. Not sure if school and college was the right path. Right. But those experiences working in the night shift really opened my eyes. It said big picture, long-term wise, what I was doing was not for the long haul. Mm. And frankly, it was a great eye-opener and motivation to me to say, you know, I really need to pursue this idea of education. And again, truth be told, my mother, God rest her soul, was so adamant about getting an education, and that was a pathway forward. Like most kids, I didn't listen, but then was in life and took that jump and did start at San Antonio College right. for that time. And again, rough start, to be honest with you, because I wasn't the best student coming out of Samuel <laughs> Clemens High School and had to start at the very bottom at SAC. And what that means was having to take those remediation courses. I think I had to take a couple of English courses and a couple of math courses to get up to the level to take the college courses and then pursue getting through San Antonio College. And of course, worked through that time too. So a non-traditional student was working at that time at the Sheraton Motor Inn and taking classes at SAC, going to night school, and really having to persevere through those earlier years, building the confidence up Mm. and getting to a point that I could get enough credits behind me at SAC to make that leap to UTSA. So it was a very non-traditional path. The perseverance and the guidance that I received pushed me through. And so, yeah, it sounds nice and neat, but it was definitely a challenge to work through that process and get to through SAC. When you started at SAC, did you know this is going to be launching to go to a four-year university? And did you know it would be UTSA? Or where was your head at when you started at SAC? I that was a typical 20, 21-year-old trying to okay, figure that yeah, out. So, yeah. <laughs> so again, the story really, if you connect the dots to that, was I was hopeful. So again, my experience at SAC has been a great part of my story in my life to set me up, but UTSA was still emerging at that point in time. Uh So if you uh go back to 1980-81, UTSA at that point was about 10 years old. I mean, coming off of their start. And that was the logical choice because at that time I had just gotten married. My beautiful wife, Cindy, is also a two-time alum from uh, UTSA. She's probably listening right now. She's awesome, but she played a big role in helping guide that process. And so we both were at UTSA in the early 80s when it was just literally those four buildings out there in 1604. Wow! But it was a beacon of hope, to be honest, and not too dramatic for students like me who had an interest in moving forward Mm -hmm. and really not having that academic background, but them offering an opportunity to create that. Mm -hmm. And so UTSA played a very pivotal role in taking that next step and allowing me to grow up a little bit and build those skills. So it was probably the only choice, Yvonne, was UTSA because of the community in my life situation, but it turned out to be the best choice and experience for me. What was your field of study? What was the path there? I mean, you graduated from UTSA with an undergrad in accounting and business information systems. Now, business information systems in 1984 is different than what it is today. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I was intrigued. So I started down the business route because it felt more natural to me. The focus on business data systems intrigued me because it was a new field in terms of business data applications that you're learning languages like COBOL, Mm. PL1. That was just a new frontier. I think it just was a perfect marriage of the business side of it with some of the technology side. So I pursued that and I found that I was kind of geared towards the systems design thinking Mm. and the programming part of it. So really acquired that skill and it served me well because that became the ticket, if you would, out of UTSA and to launch into a professional career. The foresight of studying technology back then really kind of set you up into what happened in your professional life. So in 1984, graduated from UTSA, heavily recruited by USAA, I would imagine. Wouldn't put the heavily recruited part (laughs) on there. But if you think about, again, the way things were operating back then and with UTSA still emerging on the scene, and I got to give a shout out to Glenn Dietrich, who uh, at that time, back in the day, was the main professor teaching BDS at UTSA. And I'm not sure if Glenn is still with the association or the university today, but he played a big role in helping set me up for success. But at that time, because USAA also has a community mindset, it seemed like they just built a natural partnership. So USAA 
would come onto the campus of UTSA to recruit. Mm. And again, it's interesting how life works and circumstances play themselves out because I didn't know USA would be a logical option. So I went through, like most of the students at that time, on-campus interviews, put the suit and tie on, show up, and sell yourself to the campus recruiters for USA. I did so, I think, and for whatever reason, they took a look and said, maybe this kid can do something for us. And I was invited to go onto the campus of USA for the formal testing and interview process. And back in that day, part of the entry point to go to USAA is you had to take a programmer's aptitude test. And you had the headset on, you were asked questions, you had to figure things out, and they would score the test. And you would wait outside in their interview building, you would take that test. If you pass, they said, okay, you're good. You can go up to the big building now for the interview. But again, to really align it back to UTSA, the education that I got at that time and the experience that I had and some of the work that I did allowed me to be prepared for that. Mm -hmm. So obviously, got past that phase, went onto the campus, took the interview process, and next thing you know, I'm starting at USAA in June of 1984. So you have a long career at USAA. Tell me what your first day was like. What does the Information Technology Center at USAA look like in 1984? 1984, the first day. So if you think about it like this, I started my job title. So June of 84, I was a programmer trainee grade, I think, 18, and they had job grades. Mm -hmm. And he spent the first three months in training. So at that point in time, you're an employee, but you're in a boot camp style 12-week training program because they're going to train you on the USA Mm -hmm. systems. Mm -hmm. And you have to pass the course. So you're tested periodically on different topics, like, for example, job control language back in the day. Mm -hmm. And you had to make an 80 or above on all these different tests or you were terminated. So for 12 weeks, you're going through a pretty intense curriculum. And so school continues and you're having to then take these exams periodically and graduate from programmer training class before you actually got your job. So my first three months at USAA was very interesting because the challenge of competing and getting through was still there. But obviously, three months later, I was one of a handful that got through the boot camp mm-hmm. and took my first job at USA. This is a fascinating approach to yeah. hiring. Yeah. And to be honest, it sounds like a really successful way to do it because, yeah. I mean, guys like you make it all the way through. You spend 11 years in that department, the Information Technology Division. Around 1988, you go to St. Mary's. What was the driving factor to continue your education? I've always been interested in learning. And I think that uh, philosophically, just a life approach is being a continuous learner. And at some point, I knew it was time to go do that. Mm -hmm. And had at that time, I'd been with USA four years Mm -hmm. and had made some inroads in establishing myself as a credible IT professional in those days. And they offered the benefit of education, tuition payments for those that wanted to go to school. So again, for anyone listening out there, the idea of learning and continuing to develop yourself, it never ends. And so I was fortunate enough at that point to then take advantage of that benefit. So if you can picture this, I'd work during the day and I was going to St. Mary's Night School for about four years because I think it was 1992 when I finished with my master's in computer information systems. So again, a lot of the attributes that go into getting through that, I learned a lot of that working through the pipeline of SAC and at UTSA and through the early years at USA. But it's the idea of continuous learning. And even to this day, as old as I am, I still look for ways to learn different things, understand different people, different processes, and apply that. That's just kind of a life lesson. And so taking advantage of the St. Mary's opportunity. So if you think about it, I had the chance to make the rounds between SAC UTSA and St. Mary. So it's a trifecta of education here (laughs) in San Antonio. Yeah. And I feel like, too, the trajectory that you're on from a collegiate level is focused mostly on computer information systems, working in the information technology division at USAA. But was there something that happened in those earlier days that upper management said, he looks like someone that we can consider for leadership? The beautiful thing about USA's culture and what I feel like I was a benefit of is they really focus on development of their talent internally. Mm -hmm. So to your point, exactly that's what happened. I was trucking along in the early phases of my career. And at that point in time, you view life as I want to do a good job. Mm -hmm. Didn't think about a career. And, you know, you're in your 20s and you're trying to do well. So there was a point right there at the end of the 1980s, early 90s, that someone intersected my life and the conversation went something like this. I worked for the gentleman. His name was Reggie Williams. He was a senior vice president in IT at USA. And the conversation went something along the lines of, hey, David, you do really good work. 
really think that you've got a lot of potential. You've shown a lot of potential. We have a program here at USA called Management Access Program that takes internal talent and creates a pathway for leadership roles. And I think you would be a phenomenal candidate if you're interested in doing it. Have you ever thought about your career? That was the pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. That was the life-changing moment. And I think the lesson learned in that is you never know who's watching you. Mm -hmm. You never know who's going to intersect your life and pivot you in a different direction. And you just got to be ready for it. The funny thing about that story, just to kind of elaborate for a second, because there was another underlying lesson learned. So that's how the conversation went. And I was like, yes, sir, I'm very interested in the opportunity. He said, great. Now, there's an application process. Have your paperwork ready, your application. There was a pretty intense preparation process to be reviewed because the executive council would then evaluate the applications and select just a handful of employees Mm. for the role. He said, okay, now I want you to have your application into me by close of business this Friday so we can put it in the process. For some reason, I just didn't get it done on that time. Oh, my goodness. So over that weekend, I finished the application. I went into the office, and I slid it under his door on a Sunday night. In my mind, I'm thinking, I met the timeline of getting it done by the weekend. So Monday morning comes, and he calls me in the office, and he goes, I found this application. But I asked you to have it in by close of business Friday. Mm -hmm. He said, you didn't meet the deadline. And that just tells me that maybe you're not serious enough or mature enough if you can't meet the basic deadline. He goes, I'm going to withhold your application for a year. Wow. And we'll come back next year and revisit this. And if you're serious about it and the program slogan, we'll reevaluate it at that point in time. Whoa. Wow. wow. And so it was put on pause for a year. Next year comes along. The next cycle comes up for applications. Now, do you think my application was in on time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Early. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> early. And so that delayed that experience for a year, but I was then selected for the MAP program mm-hmm. and spent the next 18 months in a development journey, learning all parts about USAA, mm-hmm. human resources, how the business was run, preparing me to take a leadership role. But the wait period and the humbleness of being called out like I wasn't ready really impacted me in a great way long term. It was a great lesson that I applied down the road. So that transition period that you're talking about of coming out of the IT part of my career, the key point is not just Mr. Williams, who became a great mentor, but a handful of other people that along the way cross paths that influence a lot of the way my career unfolded from that point on. And I mean, you got to experience from a leadership perspective, all operational aspects of such an amazing entity. Mm -hmm. So you jump in to becoming an executive director of enterprise organizational and workforce planning, Mm -hmm. spent about four years there, then became assistant vice president of strategic HR business partner Mm -hmm. on the PNC company. About another four or five years there, then VP of Staffing, Compensation, Employee Relations, and Diversity, which I feel like played a major key into where you're sitting today. Absolutely. So there's a lot of pool coming in at that point. 2011, another about five years or so. It's almost like five years since that are mm-hmm, happening mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. VP of Staff Operations and the Property and Casualty Company. And from 2011 to 2016, do you feel coming into that role, professional opportunities, there's some accolades that were acquired throughout that time frame. What was that transition like? Were you sitting in a position now that is maybe a little bit more visible or was everything just kind of coming to a head from experience? You know, all those roles you just mentioned were building blocks and each one of those roles were highly visible in the role that I played. Mm -hmm. Each one also offered tremendous learning opportunities, but they followed a natural progression. And what's really interesting about that is I used to get the question saying, okay, how does an IT professional who spent 10 or 11 years in IT become a human resources professional. And I said, I really don't know. (laughs) But the point to the audience listening was back to the idea that if you develop a certain amount of learning agility and adaptability and you work with people, they can get a sense if you have the necessary underlying skills to be able to flex into different roles. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what my experience was, that they offered me an opportunity to make this dramatic pivot out of IT and become a HR strategic business partner for USA in the property and casualty area. And that's a whole different skill set. And so, again, the idea of continuous learning and adaptability played a critical role, but each one of those roles were highly visible learning opportunities. And each step along the way, you kind of grow professionally, but you don't do that by yourself. Again, I can't emphasize enough how important it is that 
if you call it success, whatever the terminology is, there's people that you work with that prop you up and give you the opportunity to learn and grow. And so this whole story discussion, going back to really my mother at the beginning, mm-hmm. who really incentivized me and guided me and my brothers of what education was about. For every step along the way, there's a person involved who took the time and interest to help create the opportunity. You've got to step up to the challenge and be able to meet the moment. But that feels like you can give something back along the way. So it was really not about me per se, but it was about the uh, opportunity to serve in a role for the greater good. In this case, the opportunities USA gave me, mm-hmm. I feel like in some ways I earned them and they in turn paid them back mm-hmm. in that sense. At least provided the opportunity to continue to grow. Yeah. And with an entity that large, your experience of managing those different teams, mm-hmm. really getting the ground level aspect of how those teams are reacting to certain situations. And with the, every role being just a little bit more different than the other. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that there was never a time when you're a student at UTSA or St. Mary saying, I'm going to go into HR eventually. That that was not on the radar screen. (laughs) And and that's why anyone building a career, you just got to keep an open mind and an open door to the possibilities and opportunities Mm -hmm. and just be ready to lean into it and be able to take a risk here or there. And again, I can come back to that door that opened up at UTSA, created that mindset Mm. and really stayed with me throughout the time at USA. Well, and there's a level of diversity experience that you have as well. In 2011, a Multicultural Leadership Award from the Texas Diversity Council. 2016, Executive Diversity Advisory Group founding member of that. And also in 2011 was his intro into UTSA Alumni Association and jumping yeah, yeah. on the executive board. Oh, yeah. A lot of good things happened. Again, Susan Huff, who's a really good friend of mine, I remember her making the phone call and asking would I be interested in joining first the Alumni Association mm-hmm. for the Executive Committee. And actually, that was probably a year before that because Football had not started right. back then. Yeah. And probably a lot of the alumni, when football became on the radar screen, uh, I was intrigued by where the university was going to go with mm-hmm. it. And Susan's invitation to join the alumni, it seemed like a great way to get involved and give back. And I loved those six years on the Alumni Association. It was a period of transition because mm-hmm. uh, as football was coming on and how we mobilized the alumni and really did enjoy being part of that group and still do to this day. Absolutely. At the same time, too, 2011, you also joined the board of directors of San Antonio Hispanic Chamber. From a professional aspect and being involved in multiple entities or different associations, how do you manage your time to make sure that you are successful in those roles? You don't sleep much. (laughs) And again, it's probably more built into the DNA that these opportunities to contribute. You got to be careful, but you don't overcommit. But each one of those, the Alumni Association being part of the Hispanic Chamber Board and representing USA there, were just opportunities to say the gifts or things that were awarded to me or given to me, how do you pass them back? Mm -hmm. And so each one of those, I looked at them as an opportunity that says someone thinks you can contribute and therefore sign me up. From 2011 to 2016, it was a very, very interesting busy time as I was contemplating that last phase of my USA career, Mm -hmm. engaging with the chamber, working with the university, and juggling those, but I wouldn't have traded it for the world. Yeah. And let's talk about that transition too. So we're hitting 2016. You're over 30 years and working with USAA. Did you already have it on your radar for X amount of years that retirement was coming? Or was it like, okay, guys, it's time to hang them up? I would love to say when you asked me those questions, it was a grand plan. Not at all. It just kind of unfolds in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And in my case, probably like most folks at that phase of their life, I had served USA for, again, at that point, 32 years. And again, I can't say enough about the culture of the organization and the experiences I had at USA were priceless. And I mean Mm -hmm. that sincerely about the leadership development, the people that I worked with, the mentors. I'll always be loyal to the USA True Blue, just much like I am to the UTSA Mm -hmm. True Blue. So very blessed in that sense Mm -hmm. of just being part of organizations that have had such an impact. But that phase, right when I got to that point in my life, there was a voice in my head that said, maybe it's time to do something different. Hmm. Not that I was going crazy, but there was a voice. (laughs) And so it was 2015 that I really entertained the thought saying, I've had a phenomenal, blessed career with USA. I'm still young enough and driven enough that maybe there's an opportunity to do something different. Mm -hmm. So it was really Thanksgiving of 2015 that the idea really materialized. Thanksgiving. Was there a discussion at the Thanksgiving table? Yeah, there was. (laughs) Okay. And with my wife and we kicked these ideas around. So it really came, it's time. Mm -hmm. And so January of 2016, after the holidays, I informed my boss. So I gave a year's notice. So this is going to be my last year at USA. I think it's time to do something different. And I don't know quite what that is, but it's time. Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Are you feeling 
I said, I'm fine. This is really, a, it's not a professional, it's a life decision right, I made. Right. So that pivotal moment really was just kind of reflecting on the 30 years, the whole story we've talked about, saying, what's the next chapter? Mm-hmm. And felt that I needed to make that pivot and did so. But I wanted to do so in a way that allowed a smooth transition. So it was January of 2016 that I made that known. And I left in December of 2016 mm-hmm. and had that year to kind of work through the transition. And when I made that announcement and had my retirement party, so to speak, I told the audience at that time, I said, I'm not retiring in the traditional sense. There's going to be a chapter two, and it's going to be something maybe in the area of education or workforce development. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know what it was because I was intrigued and interested through education. That's a way to help people impact their lives. And a lot of us feel that way, that gaining access to resources and having that opportunity is a way to improve one's life. And Mm -hmm. I felt that I had something to offer in that space. I didn't know quite what it was. Mm -hmm. So December 1st, 2016, you know, I said goodbye, walked off the stage and went home for the idea of taking a year off and just decompressing and relaxing Mm -hmm. and just getting reset for whatever the future held, Mm -hmm. even though it was unknown at that point. Yeah. Incredible career experience that you have, especially working within a culture like USAA and really being there long enough to understand fully how that culture works. Because a lot of times what we touch on on the show is the culture of the different entities, whether they're sports teams, a musician Mm -hmm. or nonprofits, Mm -hmm. that the successful entities are the ones that have really strong cultural Mm -hmm. values. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And what was it that you took away that you feel like you can add value to the community and to other entities from a cultural standpoint? It was just that. The thing that USA really known for that I took away was our core values. Mm -hmm. And so the culture at USA being mission focused and how we serve the military community and everything that we did as an entity was geared towards that one mission. So you really learn to appreciate that a mission statement is not words on a paper. It really drives how you produce your services. So Mm -hmm. the one key takeaway was really the idea of being mission focused and having a purpose. Then having a set of core values that you operate under, whether it's service, loyalty, honesty, and integrity, and how those values influence what you do. And the third thing was that I personally had a chance to work under some phenomenal leadership. And because of USA's long-term culture around the military, I had a chance to work with some very influential former senior officers, generals, that really had a tremendous impact on my leadership style and how I approach things. So that the cultural components, the mission focus, the leadership exposure I have, I felt was a package of attributes that I had that maybe would be useful down the road with the underlying idea that because of my own journey through SAC and UTSA and St. Mary's, how important education is. Mm -hmm. And that I know San Antonio struggled from an economic, social, economic situation and education is a barrier for people to be able to compete for jobs. So I knew that was the space. The things that I was exposed to, I felt gave me some unique tools Mm -hmm. that maybe I could use those in a future opportunity, not knowing quite what it was going to be. Right. Even the soft skills you're gaining off of people around you at the time, like the officers and the generals that you're working mm-hmm. with and taking that perspective of managing a team, managing mm-hmm. the culture and driving it through. And obviously taking that year off of after retirement, coming up with, okay, what's the next plan? March 2017, you founded the Daza Consulting Group, which I feel is an obvious transition going into a consulting type thing. Mm-hmm. Relatively short-lived, <laughs> but what was that development like? In so as I said, I retired or transitioned out of USA in December of 2016. And again, the idea of these different experiences I had, how could I package those and maybe find a way to share those for the greater good? So the idea of Daza Consulting Group materialized and so went through the steps of building my LLC and getting ready to launch it in that Mm -hmm. springtime of 2017. And it was going to be in the area around leadership development, strategy design Mm -hmm. implementation, team building, those kind of services that I was targeting. But at that same time, again, life happens in a funny different way that I got a phone call actually in that February time frame that said, hey, David, there's this nonprofit. They're looking for a new CEO. The nonprofit is called Project Quest, and we think you'd be a good candidate for the role if you were interested. And my first question was, what's Project Quest and what do they do? Mm -hmm. So those two things were kind of emerging in that first quarter of 2017 was the creation of the Dazak Consulting Group and building that first product suite that I was working on, and then this opportunity for Project Quest. And so in that first part of 2017, I said, send me some more information. Let me look into it. Because again, it wasn't part of the plan, but here you go. And so that's where that 
pivot point came and said, interesting enough, when I looked at the Project Quest opportunity Mm -hmm. and learned more about its history and its mission and what it did, it really took me back because I was like, wow. Yeah. This is exactly, I didn't articulate it well previously, but that's the idea that I think I could offer my services and help out. Absolutely. And so it was really just kind of a strange coincidence, Mm -hmm. if you want to even use that term. And the board was looking for a different kind of CEO. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody who knew me reached out, who was doing the recruiting. And that door opened. And reluctantly, my wife, Cindy, said, (laughs) okay. It was because we had had plans, as I said. And entered into that process with uh, Project Quest in that March, April timeframe. Mm-hmm. And as part of that process, when the board got serious about considering my candidacy, one of the conditions was the consulting. You might want to put that on the back burner because we think you're going to be pretty busy mm-hmm. if we bring you on for this role. So part of the negotiation was an agreement that if I was selected, I would kind of put that in the back. And I did. And yeah. so one thing obviously led to another. And they made a decision to bring me on board to become the next. CEO of Project Quest. Well, the Project Quest is fascinating altogether. And I was like you, whenever you got recruited, let me find out what Project Quest is. And in the research, I was really blown away of the foundation, the structure, who was involved on the development of Project Quest. Just give us a brief history, 1992, start of Project Quest. Sure. Because as I was exploring the opportunity, I did my own research. And so Project Quest has been serving the San Antonio community for 30 years. As a matter of fact, this upcoming month is going to mark our official 30th anniversary. So Quest was founded in 1992, and the main drivers of creating the organization was COPS Metro. So if you're familiar with COPS Metro, Citizens Organized for Public Service, was a driving force in creating a training mechanism for the community, along with Broadway Bank, Frost Bank, and the city of San Antonio. And the impetus behind that was that you had the Levi Strauss plants and other manufacturing plants closed down in 1992. And there was no process for middle skilled workers to be retrained. Mm. So COPS Metro came together with the city, with Mr. Frost, Mr. Cheever to then create Project Quest. So Quest was created in 1992. The city of San Antonio has always provided the underlying funding for Project Quest, and we've been serving the San Antonio community for 30 years. What we do is we work with the underserved community, your unemployed, underskilled, underserved, create access to financial resources and coaching resources to help you gain the education and skills to compete for living wage jobs. Quest has been nationally recognized for its unique service model. Mm -hmm. We have, I think, delivered outstanding outcomes of the community over the last 30 years and will continue to do so for the next 30 years. Mm -hmm. But the focus around workforce development and the way we provide the services to the community was very unique. And I was intrigued and drawn into the mission and thought, maybe there's something I can offer to help move the organization forward. Right. I feel like it's a very proactive approach from a city trying to address an immediate problem, which in turn is the founding event of the development of the culture of Project Quest, mm-hmm. right? You know, something bigger than the entity itself or serving something that's for the greater good of the community. And I really like the statement. So Project Quest, Quest standing for quality employment through skills training. I love that the description is a primary economic development broker, mm-hmm. utilizing the resources that are available through the city. And then the incredible list of donors and sponsors for the program mm-hmm. is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. How do you go and look for companies for sponsorship? How do they approach you? And then how do they get involved? with the So, so a couple of things about that statement there. The unique thing about Project Quest, that unless you take a closer look, is you may think about us as a small nonprofit, but my learning after my first six months on the job is the level of complexity and complex networks that Project Quest operates and facilitates to deliver those services Mm -hmm. to the community. And we certainly work with the city of San Antonio and COPS Metro are foundational, and we have relationships with both entities. I can't say enough about the mayor and the city council and their support for our programs, which are foundational, and having COPS Metro champion that. But The idea is Quest navigates those networks. We Mm -hmm. work very closely with Alamo Colleges, and they provide a majority of the training that we actually put our participants in. So if you think about as a workforce intermediary, we don't offer training per se. 
we facilitate the entities in the community mm. to arrange the funding, to provide the training platforms. Our value proposition is providing the wraparound services and coaching to help people navigate. And one thing about the nonprofit world that makes it challenging is the revenue side of it. So you asked the question, we also manage a vast network of training providers mm-hmm. to include Alamo Colleges and other organizations. We manage a vast network of referral partners who bring people to us and employer partners. So our network of who we provide is a level of complexity. The key part of that is our community partnerships and the funding that goes along with it. So while the city provides the foundational funding, we're a grant-based organization. Mm -hmm. So we are constantly evaluating grant opportunities, submitting grants, applying for grants, whether it's at the state, federal, or philanthropic level, and have to package that to make sure we can sustain operations. So the challenge of a nonprofit, Quest is no different than most, is constantly having to be on the lookout for revenue opportunities, how to build financial strategies Mm -hmm. to manage that, keeping your expenses under control, managing your capacity. So there's a level of complexity that I don't know, unless you're in it, and I didn't, to be completely honest, I tell this story quite often that I thought way back, how hard could this be? Right. I said, nonprofit, it'll be, oh my gosh. That's the first keyword, nonprofit. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But the complexity, the networks to deliver the services really caught me by surprise. Mm. And it took me a good six to nine months to really level out and understand how to make the network and the role of the CEO managing those relationships. It took some time. Mm -hmm. And I can't say enough, this is a chance to talk about the Project Quest staff. The level of professionalism on our staff, the individuals who carry bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, who are mission-focused in your own right. And when you asked about USA and the takeaway from USA, the thing I would say about Project Quest and probably most nonprofits is the individuals that serve on the staff are mission-focused people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I cannot tell you how much I've learned from the people that I've worked around and the life experience I've been afforded because I've been able to step into this arena and the talent and skills and commitment of our staff is off the charts. Mm -hmm. They motivate me every day because they give of themselves in a way that inspires me to try to be the best version of myself for them and the participants that we serve. Yeah. I mean, I love the comment of mission-focused people. And I feel like that that is the driving factor of any good company that's got a good culture. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is a struggle to find that mission and to get people all aligned. Mm -hmm. But let's even take the UTSA football team, where it became very mission-focused, where it turned into a team, not individual players. And it's the same thing for business. Exactly. Now, let's break it down to the ground level of Project Quest and how it connects to the community. If somebody's looking to get help from Project Quest, what is that process like? It's interesting that right now we are in a very pivotal moment around workforce development. So the first part of the answer is go to the Project Quest website, www.questsa.org. And our website, I think, has a very nice design to it that Mm -hmm. if you can get to that site, it will navigate you into how to get more information about getting access to our services. The second part, why I think the moment in time coming out of COVID is a very interesting time from workforce development is Project Quest is one of four prime agencies that's working with the city of San Antonio under the SA Ready to Work program. So the city launched that program earlier this year. I believe we had the official launch in May and Quest along along with Workforce Solutions Alamo, Alamo Colleges and Restore Education are one of four prime service providers to provide workforce development services to the community. The city is providing the underlying funding through the Ready to Work. So it's a very unique opportunity to consider developing new skills, pivoting, and looking for maybe a different work opportunity through the SA Ready to Work program. Mm -hmm. So Project Quest, the best advice I could give is go to the website, look a little bit about what our services are. We have an entry point called a QIS session, which stands for Quest Information Sessions. Mm -hmm. Sign up for one of those, attend them. We have those in person and virtually to learn more about the whole array of wraparound services, how to apply, how to obtain access to our services, and see if that's the right moment for you Mm -hmm. to see, okay, I do want to take that pivot. And there is an opportunity for me to do something maybe in the IT space or in the manufacturing space or the healthcare space. But let me learn more about it because I think the city's made a concerted effort and a tremendous investment. And we're just very honored to have been selected as one of the service providers for these services. So that would be the best starting point. Okay. 
Can you talk a little bit about who would come to you for these types of services? What are the folks' backgrounds that you're seeing that, that come to They cover a wide spectrum. And if we think about how I presented the idea up front is we really focus on audiences of individuals who are unemployed looking okay. for that job. They may be underskilled, don't have the skills to compete for a living wage job, Mm -hmm. may just be in a life situation that they are having to work in a family structure that they can't gain access to the educational resources. So we make sure that across all the city council districts and in the Bear County that there is access points, but our services are geared mainly in that space to help people upskill or pivot their skills into demand occupations. So it isn't a free-for-all about, I just want to do any type of job. If you think about the key demand occupations that we're supporting mm-hmm. fall in healthcare, nursing, allied health, cybersecurity, coding, and advanced manufacturing, and roles like that, there's an array of jobs underneath right. that that if you're interested, because we want to focus on helping people obtain living wages. So the idea is bringing people out of situations that may be tied to generational poverty. Mm-hmm. And how do you break that? We believe you do so through education and training. So that's our target audience. Okay. And we have a very good success rate because of our coaches and the way our service models design, our persistency through there. Once we work with somebody, 90% of the time, they'll complete and land in one of those living wage jobs. And we attribute that to our career coaches and the uniqueness of our wraparound services model. 90% job placement rate for completers. The participants entering the program making an average about $10,000 a year mm-hmm. and graduate making an average of $40,000 a year, which is obviously a significant jump. Mm-hmm. But some more great stats on Project Quest is for every $1 that is put into Quest, it has a return on investment of $19 for the community, which mm-hmm. is That's also awesome. incredible. Yeah. And then there's been some independent studies that have been done on Project Quest as well by the Aspen Institute and the Ray Marshall Center at the University of Texas, where their findings suggest that 90% of the participants children age 18 and over graduate from high school and then 75% continue on to college after wow. that yeah just incredible again it's a generational approach of here's how we can do it and then focusing on the industries that absolutely need people the most right now yep, yep. and i think shining a light on the entity right now in particular with what's happening with the economy mm-hmm. and what we should be prepared for mm-hmm. these are the industries that will be continuing to hire i'll say it again that quest in our role as a workforce collaborator intermediary we don't do it ourselves We hope to make the resources in the community more effective in giving people access. So we connect the dots, we collaborate, we provide that partnership to see people through that pipeline and persist. Mm -hmm. And then our measure of success is, do we help them land in a job where they can take care of themselves and their families? Mm -hmm. Think about mission focus. That's what Quest does every day. We wake up with that idea in mind. And we do that through many different partnerships Mm -hmm. across the community. And we're always willing to entertain new ideas and new partnerships. So we're continuing continuously learning, continuously improving, and just thankful that we have a role to play in the community in this space because I think it's so important. In San Antonio, who carries that unfortunate distinction of being one of the most socially, economically segregated right. communities in the country, our role is to help improve that. And frankly, to kind of go in a different direction, I think UTSA plays a critical role in that same discussion. And I was asked this question several months ago about economic impact and what are the, some of the drivers in the community. And I think UTSA's presence downtown, its focus on expanding its services, maybe getting more or into workforce development mm-hmm. and community-related things will also have a tremendous impact on the future of San Antonio. So mm-hmm. we're also very excited to hopefully potentially continue to partner with UTSA on that idea. Well, I happen to notice your Project Quest shirt is very much UTSA colors. Yeah. So. I will tell you, I came dressed up for you all today because <laughs> the Quest colors are blue and orange. And yeah. I thought how appropriate for a UTSA interview. But yes. Yeah, no, that works awesome. And if you're interested in learning more about Project Quest, I'd highly suggest going to the website. It's a very well-designed website. It allows you to really kind of yeah. see who's involved. The list of the training partners, the list of the donors and sponsors. The donors and sponsors list blew me away. There's even the development of the Quest Alumni Association and realizing the importance of keeping those students connected and through that process. Not only is it great content for you guys to show the people that have gone through the success, but allows them to really kind of interconnect as well and continue that network. Truth be told on that is I stole the idea from my time with the UTSA alumni (laughs) that we were talking about this and said, there's 8,000 plus graduates of the Quest program. Oh, wow. Why don't we find a way to interact and mobilize them? So we did make a very concerted effort. We probably have email addresses for about 3,500 that we've reached out. Mm -hmm. And we have began this interaction with former Questers to engage them in the process. And we see that as a key strategic 
idea to further the reach and impact of Project Quest through our alumni association. And again, I took some of the ideas that we did back in the day and said, how would those apply here? We're still in the early stages, but I'm very optimistic that it's going to have a great impact downstream to help broaden the reach of Project Quest in the community. With the entity that relies so heavily on its network, you can easily show the importance of developing that Absolutely. Uh, at, at all angles of it, right? If you're interested in giving, highly suggest going to the website. One thing I did notice on there, the Hope, Dignity, Empowerment Monthly Giving Circle. We'll have all these links on the show notes. So if you are sitting in your office or driving in your car when you stop your car, uh, you'll have links to all these connections here. And then the dollars that are raised there goes to transportation for the participants to go to and from where they need to be. Supplies like scrubs, binders, flash drives, more technical pieces, licensing fees, textbooks. So all that money is really centered towards the development of this group that really needs our help, not only as a community, but as a UTSA alumni network as well. Mm -hmm. So David, this is really incredible. We want to do anything that we can to help you guys spread the word. And even your extensive career at USAA, to me, is really exciting to know and culture development and how all that stuff pulls together. Because to me, it is truly fascinating. You go from an IT perspective and then seeing the path that you've taken to get to this point is awesome. And I do want to end it on a couple of quick questions here. How did your time at UTSA prepare you or add value to your career path? It was about opportunity. It gave me an opportunity to explore and develop my skills at a time when there wasn't a true pathway. Mm -hmm. And as I said, there was certain professors that certainly just gave me an opportunity. And I think sometimes we just need an opportunity. And what is your favorite memory at your time at UTSA? You know, <laughs> think about this. UTSA at that time was literally those four buildings off of 1604. And it was a commuter school. So I was living out in shirts and making that long oh drive gosh. off of two lane 1604 right, yeah. and back and forth. And so the idea that you've got to make that commitment every day to stay in the program. If you wanted it, you had to go for it. And making that 35-mile drive twice a day back and forth, five days a week to stay in the program, UTSA was that beacon of opportunity and hope when it was just out there by itself. And there yeah. wasn't a whole lot of scenery on that drive, was no. there? <laughs> no. You drove at your own peril, man. <laughs> Last question, what do you envision for the future of UTSA? I am pumped about the future. And for many reasons, as I already mentioned, that the movement of bringing the downtown campus to life and the expansion of it, I think that the university is a key catalyst for the future economic development of the community. Mm -hmm. And having the business school and the School of Data Sciences down there, I just think the potential is unlimited that it is one of the key driving forces for the future of San Antonio. Mm -hmm. It covers workforce development, skill development, attraction to new businesses. I firmly believe that. And I'm just very very, very excited to be part of the university, continue to support its mission, because I think it's good for San Antonio. Yeah. Well, David, thank you again so much for everything that you've done for the UTSA Alumni Association and the university. Your expertise is absolutely needed. It is so great to get you introduced to the Runner Network, as I'm sure a lot of us have seen you at yeah. all the events. So thank you for all of your time, all of your volunteership, everything that you've done for the university. And we look forward to shining a light on Project Quest and trying to get the Roadrunner Network as involved as we possibly can. And like I said, in the show notes, you have all the contact information on there. If you're looking to get involved, whether it's monetarily, volunteership or anything else, I'm sure that would be happy to work with you however you can give. But David, thank you so much. We really do appreciate the time. I thank you for the opportunity. It was a great experience. Hopefully I uh, shared a good few nuggets, but thanks for the opportunity. And go runners. Go runners. runners. Birds up. Birds up. Beep, beep. So there you have it, Runner Nation, the interview with David Zamiello, class of 1984, and president and CEO of Project Quest in San Antonio. And just kind of hearing his pathway along his careers uh, is really incredible. And, you know, USAA is such a, a big part of the city of San Antonio and the path that he took in a, in a very long and successful career at USAA and being able to turn that around and go into a business segment that uh, is really so involved with the development of, of folks in need. It's so incredible to see what they're doing. Yeah, David is, you know, just one of those leaders. Like, he's selfless. Yeah. I think a good way I to think it's describe. the best way to describe him, yeah. <laughs> He's always, I mean, there to give you support or guidance or thoughts. I mean, he's, I, just, I love picking David's brain about ideas and things. And, man, he's just so thoughtful about mm -hmm. about his approach and really yeah. appreciate what everything he's done for the association and our alumni community. Exactly. And Quest Success has shown with an impressive record of taking people with the most barriers to higher education, getting them into college and training in high-demand occupations 
graduating them with strong academic records and then placing them with local employers within a few months of their graduation. So talk about fostering even the local economy from that Mm -hmm. sense uh, is truly incredible. David, thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be seeing you at the football game. So we do appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yvonne, uh, what else is happening at the university and the Alumni Association? Yeah, so a few things to mention. Fall ring sales are happening between the 13th and the 15th of September from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on the main campus at the MH Galleria, or you can go on September 14th to the Frio building at the downtown campus from 1 to 5 p.m., and you can go and uh, talk to them about getting your UTSA ring if you have a chance to get it as an undergrad or graduate student and you want to go back and uh, get that awesome Roadrunner ring. Definitely something I'm proud to wear every single day. And the next thing to mention, we are having an away game tailgate for the UT game coming up on September 17th. This is being hosted by Hornball Tailgaters. There'll be additional information coming soon, but those of you all who are traveling from San Antonio and want to join us for pre-game festivities with fellow alumni and our friends and family, join us um, and we'll have more information available at utsa.edu backslash alumni. And then I know we've mentioned this a couple times, our Clessy College of Engineering and Integrated Design Council Tour and Engineering Breakfast is coming up September 19th between 7.30 and 8.30 a.m. This will be on campus. We're going to meet in the BSC building on the second floor. There'll be breakfast, networking time. Dean Browning will be sharing some remarks. And then we're going to take a tour of the Makerspace, which is this really incredible space that was built in the new uh, engineering building that provides resources, lab space, fabrication space, resources for students who are putting together their senior design projects and other aspects, uh, other lab projects and things that they're working on. So that's super exciting. And then our next home game is September 24th. So Andrew, you want to talk about that tailgate? Well, I want to talk about the Houston game first because, I mean, talk about a game. Just had some changes to the UTSA alumni tailgate and the location and the setup over there. Um, It was really awesome to see all of the alumni that did show up to that tailgate. Yeah, we had a great it, it was a great turnout. Um, we had a really cool first time, like UTSA edition of College Game Day. Yeah. Um, with uh, Jared and Adrian from the Alamo Dome Audible podcast. Thank you guys again so much for joining us, as well as Miles Benning, former number 37 for the UTSA runner football team. And thank you to Miles also for providing his insight on, you know, where the team is. He still knows everybody on the team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even his insight of uh, the players that are in the NFL. You know, he's talking to Tariq, he's talking to Spencer. Actually, I had a chance to talk to Tariq at the tailgate as well, which was fascinating. Tariq and Spencer both are now starting for their respective NFL football teams Yay. as rookies. That's awesome. Uh, so Spencer Burford, a former guard for UTSA Roadrunners, is going to be starting for the San Francisco 49ers. And Tariq Woolen will be starting as a cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks. Um, again, uh, well, Tariq especially is the only uh, rookie. rookie player that is starting on that defense. So uh, totally incredible. Yeah, we watched him against the Cowboys. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, he had some He's impressive. so fast. I know. Oh He's gosh. so fast. But uh, congratulations to Frank Harris and, and also place kicker Jared Sackett as they earned Conference USA Player of the Week accolades uh, for the performance against University of Houston. Nail-biter game. Obviously didn't go our way, but we couldn't be any more proud of our football team as, uh, you know, this is a national spotlight. Patrick Mahomes actually tweeted about the game. Uh, what? <laughs> so that's kind of Wait, a big what? Deal. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but like Yvonne said, there is a, the next home tailgate coming up on September 24th. It's going to be the same location. Make sure that you purchase your tickets online. It's much easier going through the line. Uh, you get that little barcode as you come in and come help us celebrate. And we're, we're going to be coming off basically a, a road tour. This week, we're going to Army at West Point with mm-hmm. the following week, the game at UT. You had mentioned the away game tailgate. And I can tell you, setting up an away team tailgate in Austin is no easy feat, but our Alumni Association was able to get it done, and we have that ready to go for you. But again, the next home game is September 24th, and uh, we look forward to seeing all of you there. Thank you guys again for showing up and supporting UTSA. If there's anything that you can do for us, make sure that you subscribe to the show. Get, leave that five-star rating and review and help us spread the word about what we're doing here at the show and connecting the network the best that we can. But check in every other Friday, 6 a.m. is a new episode. And we look forward to seeing all of you at the tailgate in the football game. We'll catch you on the next one. Birds up. Birds up.